Welcome to the Growing with Nature podcast. I'm your host, Darren Williams, permaculture enthusiast, restoration ecologist, and founder of Growing with Nature. Too often, we hear that the best thing we can do for nature is to leave it alone. But people are a part of nature, and you can make the living world around you come alive with abundance for people, plants, and wildlife, even in your own backyard. Join me on a journey through regenerative soil building, permaculture, restoration ecology, and more. To learn concrete steps you can take at home to support wildlife, grow incredible, delicious food, and help heal our living world right in your own backyard. Ready to get started? Grab a shovel, roll up your sleeves, and let's make the living world around you come alive. In this episode, we're going to look at what microclimates are, how to identify them, and how to create new ones. Learning how to take advantage of microclimates can help you cultivate abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. So, do you know where the microclimates are on your property? Some, like the south side of a building at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, are warm microclimates. These spots tend to be warmer than surrounding areas. This is due to sunlight reflecting off the building and heat being radiated from the building throughout the night. And other spots, like the northern side of a building, are cool microclimates. The northern side of a building gets less sunlight and tends to be colder. But there are likely a bunch of other microclimates where you live. Learning to identify them is important to ensure your plants thrive. Apricots, for example, tend to flower too early here in western Washington, which makes them vulnerable to late frosts. This happens because we tend to warm up fairly early in the year during the day, but still have cold nights. One option is to plant apricots in warm microclimates that might be safe from late frosts, maybe the south side of the house, for example. But another option would be to plant them in cool microclimates that would delay flowering until after the last frosts. A cool microclimate could also be used to extend your lettuce and spinach harvest by making them less likely to bolt. I'm planning on creating some garden beds in cool areas on my property. These beds will be slower to get going in the spring, but could be more resistant to summer droughts and provide longer harvests for vegetables that don't like hot days. Combined with garden beds in warmer areas, I should be able to get good harvests over a longer period than I could with just warm garden beds on their own. Using microclimates in this way can make it more likely to be successful with your plantings, which will help you cultivate abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. So let's dive into identifying existing microclimates and look at how you can create new mines. And if you like what you hear today, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us. People like you who want to bring these skills home to enjoy wildlife, grow more food, and help heal our living world. Okay, let's get started. So we've talked a bit already about what microclimates are, but I want to discuss this a little bit more. You can think of microclimates as areas that are either warmer or cooler than the average temperature for your area. Most microclimates won't have a big impact, though some, like the south side of your house, can have a significant impact. I've noticed that along the south side of my house, frosts are delayed by up to a month in the fall. Because of this, I've planted purple tree collards here, and I've created garden beds for tomatoes. Tree collards can handle frosts, but only down to about 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Planting them on the south side of our house keeps them safe, even on our coldest days. Large rocks and rock walls create similar microclimates. The south side will tend to be warmer than average, and the north side will be cooler. 
ponds and other water bodies also create microclimates. Water tends to be warmer than the surrounding land in the winter and cooler in the summer. This has a moderating impact on the land around them. On a large scale, it's why coastal areas tend to be warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer than nearby inland areas. Ponds also reflect sunlight onto the surrounding land. This can warm up nearby areas. Low areas tend to be cooler than higher areas too. On our property, we always notice how much cooler our low goalie is in the summer. It's fun to take an evening walk down to the goalie in the summer. It feels just like walking into an air-conditioned building, even on really hot days. But in the winter, much of this area fills up with downing water, making it warmer. These are some examples of microclimates, but there are many more than I covered here. Luckily, there are two easy ways to identify microclimates where you live. The first is to get outside on, a cold, on cold, frosty mornings and look for areas that stay frosty longer, and look for areas that thaw first or potentially didn't get frosted at all. Often, cooler areas will be areas that stay shady, and warmer areas will be sunnier. I mean, that makes sense. But you might also notice that areas below trees tend to not frost. Trees tend to have a moderating impact on the climate, warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. And don't just look for large impacts. Even a single down log will create warm and cool microclimates depending on how it's orientated on the ground. If you live somewhere that has snow cover throughout the winter, you can use the snow to identify cool and warm microclimates. Look for areas that melt first and areas that stay snow covered. Watching frost and snow patterns is a great way to help you identify warm and cool microclimates. It's easy. You can just look for them and it's I find it to be kind of fun. And another great way to identify microclimates is to just take a walk and see which areas feel cooler or warmer. This won't really help you identify small microclimates, but larger ones will stand out. You can also put out the thermometers in different spots to see how the temperature changes. Just make sure to observe them at the same time of day. And one final tip for identifying microclimates is to pay attention to the wind. We've been talking mostly about sun exposure, but winds and the flow of air can be big drivers of temperatures. Our low goalie is colder than the surrounding land because cold air flows down the surrounding hills and collects in that area. Winds also tend to get funneled into the goalie. Cold winds can increase the risk of frosts and warm winds will make an area drier and warmer. But these winds can be blocked by hedgerows and other vegetation, creating microclimates. In the summer, blocking the hot winds can make areas cooler and keep those areas from drying out. And in winter, blocking cold winds will keep areas warmer. So as you're walking around your property, pay attention to the winds to help you identify microclimates. Once you get a good sense of existing microclimates on your property, a good next step is to explore creating new ones or enhancing existing microclimates. Creating new microclimates is relatively straightforward, and the existing ones you have already identified can help guide your work. On our property, I've put a lot of my focus on creating relatively cool microclimates by planting hedgerows and trees. I talked about this a bit in a recent episode, but I've I've observed that drought and heat are having a significant impact on our property. Our property is wide open, meaning that most areas get far more than the 6-8 hours of sunlight needed to be considered full sun. 
This also means that winds can blow across our property, making droughts even worse. So I'm focusing on planting more hedgerows and trees that can deflect the winds and provide additional shade. I especially like to provide late afternoon shade. This is the hottest time of the day, and by that point, our plants have already gotten all the sunlight they need. By carefully placing hedgerows and trees, I can reduce the amount of late afternoon shade different planting areas get in the summer. And by using deciduous plants that lose their leaves in the fall and not planting too densely, these hedgerows will have less of a cooling effect in the winter and early spring while still providing shade in the summer. I've put links in the resources section of the show notes for this episode all about hedgerows, lessons learned from a hot dry summer, and more information about cool and warm microclimates. So make sure to check those out. Raised beds are also a great way to create warm growing areas. Even relatively short mounded beds will stay warmer than the surrounding land. Cool air settles, so by raising the beds above the surrounding land, they will stay above the coldest air. And the sides of these beds will get more direct sun, making them warm up faster. But this also means these beds will dry out faster in the summer, so watch out for that. This is the balancing act you need to do when working with warm microclimates. These areas will tend to be hotter and drier in the summer. The water features like ponds are the exception to this, since they warm the land in the winter and cool it in the summer. You can also use small features like logs and rock piles to create microclimates around individual plants. I like to place logs and rocks on the south side of my fruit trees and shrubs. The logs and rocks help shade the soil at the base of the tree and block warm southern winds from blowing across the soil around the plant. This helps keep the soil relatively cool and moist compared to the area around it, which can help new trees and shrubs get established. And rocks can also absorb the heat of the sun in the winter and release it at night, helping to warm the surrounding area. There are other ways you can create microclimates, but the methods covered here should help you get started. First, take some time to identify existing microclimates where you live. Get out and observe and look for frost and snowmelt patterns. Then see what you can do to create new microclimates or enhance existing ones. Finally, when planting... Keep your microclimates in mind. Plant heat-loving plants in warm microclimates and plants that don't like the heat in cooler areas. Doing this will help you work with your land, which will result in more abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. And stay tuned for our next episode, where we will look at Pacific Northwest native plants that you can grow for easy winter harvests. And don't forget to check out the show notes for more links and resources related to this episode. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode, and thank you for listening to the Growing With Nature podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons over on patreon.com. Thank you, patrons, for supporting our work. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you who want to bring these skills home to support wildlife, grow food, and help heal our living world. Well, that's all for now. See you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week and keep on growing.